Meanwhile, recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge, it's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to Heading Out on the Christmas Trail. It's issue 23, Holiday Music and the Cremation of Sam McKay. Well, I have waited long enough. I think it is time that we dip into the holiday music this year. And I'm surprised that I actually waited as long as I did, because usually we jump right into it whenever we can. And with that in mind, I think it is time to hear the single greatest Christmas song ever recorded. Ladies and gentlemen, it's The Ventures. There's one thing to be said about holiday music in general. It's that there's a lot of very unusual and strange novelty songs even within the genre. And sometimes getting the right combination of people to sing a song together is enough to take a standard classic and transform it into something very strange and very odd and sort of out of this world? 
This absolutely happened when a, well, probably fairly well-known holiday special featuring Bing Crosby was aired. And of course, Bing, having done these kinds of specials for years and years and years, was old hat at it pretty much, and knew that this was going to be a walk in the park, and didn't realize that this would be his last holiday special, as he would pass away five weeks after this was filmed. Now, there's one particular pairing that everybody seems to know and love, but for my money, when watching this special, things get really weird very quickly when Twiggy and Ron Moody show up, and there's a little exchange as Charles Dickens himself appears in character to sing a song about his characters? The only setup you'll need for this to make sense is that Bing Crosby and his family have traveled to the United Kingdom to stay in this house that they think they might own in some weird roundabout way because they're related to one of the previous owners. And regardless, one of his kids has done some sleuthing that a C. Dickens owned it previously and sold it to a Crosby. And that's where our story picks up here. If you want to know the truth, the Crosbys actually bought the house in 1869. Is that a fact? Uh, though I noted for fiction, that uh, is a fact. As a matter of fact, I sold it to them. And my name is Dickens. Charles Dickens. The Charles Dickens? That's a fact. And you wrote your novels right in this very house? You are standing upon the spot, sir, where David Copperfield was born. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I had no idea. Ah. If these walls could only talk, what a tale they could tell. Seems to me I've heard that line before. It's hard enough being clever. You don't have to be original. Oh, but you were famous for your originality. All those wonderful characters in your novels, you just created them right out of thin air. Out of thin air? <laughs> You're too kind. Most of them were based on real people. <laughs> you mean that really was an Ebenezer Scrooge? Of course. It was a neighbor of mine named Leslie Towns Hope. Very wealthy, but very, very, very tight. And he had an odd-shaped nose, poor fellow, shaped rather like a ski jump, if you can imagine that. Hope, you say. Yes, I can imagine that. Actually, I think I know a relative of his. Really? Mm -hmm. People used to laugh at him all the time. Oh, well, probably not related then. People rarely laugh at the hope I know. I'll get it, Mr. Atson. Oh, sorry, Miss Tradesman's entrance, if you please. We never take deliveries at the front door. No, you don't understand. I'm your neighbor, Twiggy. Sir Percival asked me to bring these parcels around. Oh, you're not the Twiggy what sings and dances on the television, the one that used to be a model? Yes. Why, have I changed that much? Well, I'm ever so sorry I didn't recognize your voice. You used to have that diabolical Cockney accent. Oh, yes, well, I had to get rid of it. It was holding me back. I wonder if I could have your autograph for my niece. Her name is Elsie. I'll take oh. those. Elsie? No. Uh, Twiggy. Oh, Tosh, you'll be thrilled. You know, you probably could give Elsie some tips on deportment. Oh, is she going to be an actress? No, she's going to be deported. Look, why don't you go in and say hello to Mr. Crosby? Oh. He's in the library there. Okay, Rose, thank you. Bye bye. See you later. Bye, Miss. I beg your pardon? Huh? Uh, which one of you is Bing Crosby? Uh, 
That would be me, miss. Oh. And this is my spirited young friend, Charles Dickens. The Charles Dickens? How many Charles Dickens are there, for heaven's sakes? Well, I've never met one before, but I'm very pleased to meet you, so I'm Twiggy. Never mind, young lady, you'll feel better in the morning. No, it's not my condition, it's my name. <laughs> I'm pleased to meet you, Twiggy. Oh, I love all your records and films. I think you're great. Thank you. Um, have you read any of my works, Miss Twiggy? Yeah, I've read most of them. Oh, well, I am honoured. Well, they were required reading at school. Oh, but you would have read them anyway, wouldn't you, Twiggy? Well, I'm afraid it's not really good to lie so close to Christmas. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Which one was your favourite? Uh, A Tale of One City. No, no, it's A Tale of Two Cities. Oh, yeah, but I only got halfway through. Ooh, I see. <laughs> you know, I love the way you write your characters. I used to imagine myself as them. The Artful Dodger and Tiny Tim oh, and Little Nell. You made them all seem so real. Oh, when it comes to prose, he's the Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Very witty. Mind if I use that one? Be my guest. You know, I wish I could take credit for my work, but the truth of the matter is this. When a writer writes his work of prose, he may plot and plan, but he rarely knows exactly how his characters will relate. He may work and weave his storyline and believe that all is going fine, when actually it's in the hands of fate. The writer writes his words upon the page. Then all too soon the characters take the stage. I'm Ebenezer Scrooge, you remember me. A villain who was willing to do anything to be acclaimed and made the miser of the year. I'm rotten through and through. I am. That is why I'm here. My name is Tiny Tim. You remember me. For Pratchett's son, I was the one who drew the sympathy. So weak, so meek. But through it all, it's clear. I'm sweetness through and through. I am. That is why I'm here. Scrooge! I did it all! I played the leading part! It's Tim that they recall I gave the story heart You're the star! Yes, I am! Ha! 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 Where would you be without me, Tiny? Just tell me, where would you be? I am the cause of your strife, Tiny. Your life is through me. Without my innocent way, mister, you wouldn't be much. If you'll permit me to say, mister, you use me for a crutch. Humbug! I am the star of the plot. Kiddo, you are at best number three. But you're a nasty man. I do the best I can. But you will have to agree. People love me. Only because they hate me. Where would you be without, without me? Let's face it, Tiny Tim. It's not just you and me. For Fagin and the Artful Dodger also disagree. Where would you be without me, Dodger? Certainly not there on top. 
I am the Rob Supreme Dodger. The cream of the crop. You were rap robbing for pets, begging Tim I, sweeten the pot. And if I had any sense, begging, I'd drop you like a shot. Really? Show some respect for the king, Dodger. I am the best there can be. You couldn't be much worse. How come I pinched your purse and you did not even see? Because I taught you. Where would you be without me? <laughs> Where would you be without me? You think we are unique, the way we fight and yell. Well, I have heard it's just as bad with Quilp and Little Nell. Where would you be without me, Nellie? I was so misunderstood. But I made you look good For you never a prize winner You have no inner fire You even died like a rat Drowning while I chose to expire Everyone knows this is my story I can't see why you can't see I'm and screwed and you haven't a clue what's true You've got some ego, you three Can't face this Where would you be? I'd be up a tree What would you do? I'd throw things at you where would you be? Where would you be? Where would you be? Where would you be without me? Where would I be without? There is something about Ron Moody doing Dickens in some sort of weird disco song on television around the holidays that just really fills me with a feeling I don't know how to describe. <laughs> and on that note, why don't I move on to something that's a little easier to describe? Uh, tradition here on many of my radio programs has been around the holidays to engage in a little, how do they say, outdoor cowboy poetry with Robert Service's The Cremation of Sam McGee. Now this tradition actually goes back all the way to 1998. I read it on the air around Christmas then. Uh, and this is the recording of that particular broadcast with a uh, you know, all of the fidelity that a 
20-something-year-old recording embodies. Now, this poem is particularly unusual for a number of reasons, and if you're not familiar with Robert Service's style or his kind of um, subject matter, then it might take a moment for you to adjust to what you're about to hear. But certainly, this poem, and many others like it, embodies so much about the cold and the loneliness of the holidays that something about it just always feels right this time of year. Now, in my own family, we have a tradition of reading this when we are camping together, something that my grandfather did and my father did after him. And while certainly this does have a better effect when you're sitting around a campfire with a group of people, and perhaps several of them already know the poem pretty well, certainly I have found that if you set the mood just right, this poem actually works quite well during the holiday season. But that does require a tiny bit of setup, so why don't you sit back and imagine traveling quite a ways north and into the past. In fact, somewhere around when Dickens sold the house to the Crosby family. And you've decided that you'd rather go prospecting, see if you can make your fortune. And then, at a nearby saloon, you manage to overhear this. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of Lake LaBarge where I cremated Sam McGee. Now Sam McGee was from Tennessee where the cotton blooms and blows. Why he left his home in the south to roam round the pole, God only knows. He was always cold, but the land of gold seemed to hold him like a spell. Though he'd often say in his homely way that he'd sooner live in hell. On a Christmas day, we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Talk of your cold, through the parka's fold, it stabbed like a driven nail. If our eyes we'd close, then the lashes froze till sometimes we couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, and the dogs were fed and the stars overhead were dancing heel to and toe, he turned to me and, Cap, he says, I'll cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I'm asking that you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seemed so low and I couldn't say no. Then he says with a sort of moan, it's the cursed cold, and it's got right hold till I'm chilled clean through to the bone. Yet taint being dead, it's my awful dread of the icy grave that pains. So I want you to swear that, foul or fair, you'll cremate my last remains. A pal's last need is a thing to heed, so I swore I would not fail. And he started on the streak of dawn, but God, he looked ghastly pale. He crouched on the sleigh and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee. And before nightfall, a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. 
There wasn't a breath in that land of death, and I hurried, horror-driven, with a corpse half-hid that I couldn't get rid because of a promise given. It was lashed to the sleigh, and it seemed to say, you may tax your brawn and brains, but you promised true, and it's up to you to cremate those last remains. Now a promise made is a debt unpaid, and the trail has its own stern code. In the days to come, though my lips were numb, and my heart how I cursed that load. In the long, long night, by the lone firelight, while the huskies, round in a ring, howled out their woes to the homeless snows, oh God, how I loathed that thing. And every day that quiet clay seemed to heavy and heavier grow. And I went, though the dogs were spent and the grub was getting low. The trail was bad and I felt half mad, but I swore I would not give in. I had often sing to that hateful thing and it hearkened with a grin. Till I came to the marge of Lake LaBarge and a derelict there lay. It was jammed in the ice, but I saw it trice and it called the Alice May. And I looked at it and I thought a bit and I looked at my frozen chum. Then here, said I, with a sudden cry, is my crematorium. Some planks I tore from the cabin floor and I lit the boiler fire. Some coal I found that was lying around and I heaped the fuel higher. The flames just soared and the furnace roared, such a blaze you seldom see. And I burrowed a hole in the glowing coal and I stuffed in Sam McGee. Then I made a hike, for I did not like to hear him sizzle so. And the heavens scowled and the huskies howled and the wind began to blow. It was icy cold, but the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks, and I don't know why. And the greasy smoke and an inky cloak went streaking down the sky. How long I was in the snow, I wrestled with grisly fear. But the stars came out, and they danced about, and again I ventured near. I was sick with dread, but I bravely said, I'll just take a peep inside. I guess he's cooked, and it's time I looked. Then the door I opened wide. And there sat Sam, looking cool and calm, in the heart of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile, you could see a mile, and he said, please close that door. It's fine in here, but I greatly fear you'll let in the cold and storm. Since I left Plumtree down in Tennessee, it's the first time I've been warm. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of Lake LaBarge when I cremated Sam McGee. And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Somewhere in between a radio zine, holiday music, and the cremation of Sam McGee. Issue 23 contained a poem written by Robert Service and read by Austin Rich in 1998. It might seem counterintuitive in many ways, but you know what? You don't have to see your family during the holidays. In fact, you don't have to celebrate the holidays, if you don't want to. You are allowed to do what you want to do, and enjoy life in the way that makes you comfortable. And if anyone, friend, family, or even just a co-worker, tries to tell you otherwise, you can tell them to act like a turkey and get stuffed. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. 
In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story you'd like to send in, read, or just want to be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com? That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. And without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you.